Welcome, nerds, to another episode of the Real Dads podcast, a real podcast about real movies with fake dads. I want to take a quick minute here to thank everybody who listened to our first episode and provided us with a lot of good, positive feedback. Um, Your penance for that positive feedback is that it just reinforces us to do this continually, so um, you're going to have to keep listening to us. Uh, We appreciate all the kind words. I'm Jordan Smith, your co-host, and I am joined here by Jared Leto's biggest fan, Roger Brandsetter. What's up, Roger? <laughs> That's true. That's what my shirt says. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, doing great. Doing great. Um, was able to catch up on a lot of movie news over the weekend. Um, got into WandaVision on Friday and was immediately just thirsting for another episode i thought there was going to be two episodes i think i said that in the last podcast but i think it's just it was just episode five and then six coming this week i believe it is nine for the entire season so we are roughly halfway through and uh i've got nothing but good things to say about wandavision so far yeah we'll touch on that towards the back end because i think we might get into some spoilery stuff um so i kind of want to save that in case Uh, people haven't caught up on the episode or if they plan on catching up on WandaVision and the larger MCU as a whole. Uh, Shout out to our friend Zach, who is on that journey right now. Um, If you were on Twitter last week and you are a big movie head and part of the whole film Twitter sphere, you know that it was just on fire after the Golden Globes uh, announced all of their nominees um so the hollywood forum press uh does the golden globes every year and it's not usually indicative of um oscar uh nominees or award winners in any sense it's usually a little bit of a mixed bag a lot of uh punditry says that the golden globes is just a chance for the hollywood foreign press to get a lot of famous people in a room and uh praise these sort of famous people. Um, One of the through lines for these nominations, though, is that it was a little bit confusing this year. Um, It did not uh, do very well in terms of diversity other than like one or two categories, maybe. And at the same time, they didn't really do what a lot of the pundits were saying, and that's get a lot of famous people on there or get a lot of people that would cause like a younger audience or a more uh, expansive audience to tune in. You got a lot of just random uh, nominees and a lot of stuff that people haven't seen yet. Um, Roger, what was your initial reaction to the Golden Globe nominations? I mean, what you said is pretty much entirely true um, in terms of the predictiveness of Golden Globes towards who's going to win an Oscar, which ultimately is what everyone's going for. Like Everyone's pleased as punch to get a Golden Globe, but people are making movies to get Oscars. And to that end, uh, the Golden Globes does tend to 
be less predictive than other awards ceremonies, the SAG Awards specific correlation with the Oscars. And I, I haven't seen uh, the bulk of the movies that I think will probably be nominated for Oscars. And I haven't seen most of them that were nominated for Golden Globes. But what people are saying uh, is that, yeah, there's less inclusivity and some of the decisions that they made were, were a little bit just puzzling. Uh, if you're going for a younger crowd, you would include something like, you'd include movies that aim at a younger demographic. And if you're going for all the stars in Hollywood, you'd try to get something with Tom Hanks in there. And uh, I think this year specifically was just destined to be weird. And I don't think that there's really necessarily a penalty for nominating as many movies with major actors as you can, because there's not really an excuse for someone to not show up this year. Like everyone can slide into the Zoom. So I, I don't know, it's strange. Yeah, it should be noted too that I mean, if for those who don't know, the Golden Globes does television and movies, so they have a lot to sort through. And the Hollywood Foreign Press is like a large body as well. Um, so it's not necessarily like the Oscars where they have, um, you know, select individuals who get put onto these Academy voting uh, panels, people who get votes. I think you have to be a part of like, SAG and the Directors Guild and Producers Guild, that sort of thing. Um, plenty of confusion on the television side. You had like great nominations, like people got nominated for Ozark, but that's Julia Garner, who was great in that. Um, you have Schitt's Creek just getting tons of nominations uh, per usual and deservedly so. Ted Lasso got on there. Uh, shout out to all my Lasso heads. Uh, but then there's like Emily in Paris for best television series, musical or comedy. I watched that. It was kind of delightful. I had gone to Paris a year and a half ago now. So it was a little, uh, a little bit like, hey, remember when that trip happened and we got to actually go places in this world? But it wasn't uh, an award-winning TV show. I'll say that much. Lily Collins is much better in Mank, which we'll talk about. A little yeah, bit later. I, I think that that has to do with the body that nominates these. I mean, you briefly touched on it, but uh, the Hollywood Ford and Press tends to have a little bit different focus than the Academy of Motion Pictures. And so, I don't know, they have traditionally had more of an eye for things that are poking fun at America. I'm looking at movies again. So Borat subsequent movie film is nominated for best motion picture comedy. And I don't think that's going to get a sniff for the Oscars, but it is just a different uh, different set of eyes that might be more looking for things. I mean, they are looking for representation in American media of the globe. So I could see where something like an Emily in Paris gets a look, but I don't know. From everything I heard about it, I didn't watch it, but uh, everything I heard, it was not good. <laughs> Entertaining, yes, but not good. The Tiger King camp. It's a it's a light, easy watch. I'll say that much. Uh, you don't have to exactly strain a lot of um, muscle power in the brain to keep tra up with that show. Um, that what you just mentioned too kind of segues well with what my next point was going to be is that um, having like really bad Golden Globe nominations for television this year doesn't make a whole lot of sense because despite the pandemic, there was still a lot of good TV 
As for movies, on the other hand, I give them a slighter pass for, um, you know, what they voted for and what they nominated in their categories, because unlike the Oscars, they uh, they have a lot of different subcategories like best motion picture for musical or comedy, like you mentioned. Um, and then there's best motion picture drama and the Academy Awards is that's just best picture. You know, it doesn't matter if you're uh, comedy or a drama. Um, it does matter if you're a horror movie, though, because you're probably not getting nominated. Um, the curiosity there. Taken <laughs> uh, horror movies, just taken strays. That's that's not a, a knock on horror movies. I love good horror movies. But you have a, a movie like Music, which kind of got universally panned. Um, it was directed by the musical artist Sia. And She's so talented. It, it was panned, though, because they cast somebody who wasn't autistic in an autistic role, which is like, it, come on, it, it was 2019, 2020 at the time. Like, it, this isn't Rain Man back in the day where you overlook it. Right now, you kind of got to stare that in the face and be like, what are we doing? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that at all. I see that they have uh, Aaron Burr in there too, which is cool. I like Leslie Leslie Odom Jr. But yeah, you can't you gotta have some rep- representation in casting. That's why we have all those jokes about Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, <laughs> uh, ScarJo, who is going to be in Judas and the Black Messiah this Friday. Uh, just kidding. The Prom, which was a Netflix drop. I didn't watch that. That was another one that was a little bit skeptical because I think film Twitter is mostly just like James Corden, please go away. There are more talented and deserving actors that should be getting the roles that he is uh, landing. And another kind of alarming nomination, uh, this has been something that the film community has been reckoning with all year long because uh the movie is minari it a lot of people have already seen this movie and it keeps on getting lumped into like foreign language nominations and the golden globes did not skip a beat on nominating it for best motion picture foreign language even though it was produced in the u.s and is about a family that immigrate immigrates to the u.s and as American actors, uh, directed by an American. I don't know what more you could do. I think, alarmingly, they just see a full cast of Asian people, and they're like, cool, foreign language. Yeah, I struggle with it. Um, I mean, your points are all very valid and well taken. It's just that it's not in English, which is why it gets lumped in. I haven't seen it, and I want to like it. I really hope it's good. And I know that it has a lot of Oscar buzz, so I guess I was a little bit surprised to not see it in Best Motion Picture Drama. But um, yeah, I think that's just some of the built-in nationalism's the wrong word, American pride, I don't know, where we don't give things that aren't in English the proper due that they're deserved. Yeah, the thing I always go back to with like foreign language films or movies that are in majority foreign language is like Inglorious Bastards, which is, I believe, like 60 to 70% in like German, French, uh, not English, basically, (laughs) Italian, Uh, (laughs) which which could have very well qualified for uh, 
best picture foreign language at like the Oscars or the Golden Globes, but uh, I'm, it's Tarantino, you know? So I think that's just more seen as traditionally quotes American than something done by Steven Yeun, who is a tremendous performer. And by all accounts, this movie's great too. Yeah, I'm excited. I hope that the Oscars do it right. I do think that Parasite helped break the Parasite and Roma, uh, I think, helped break that mold a little bit for the Oscars. So hopefully this will get uh, a fair look. Um, I'm going to withhold judgment on whether this was right until I actually see it. But I'm excited to see it. <laughs> excited to read some subtitles. Let's go. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I can't wait to see it as well. Um, and shout out to Parasite. Happy one-year anniversary of winning that best picture. That happened today on the 9th this time last year when things were still kind of normal a perfect film it, it truly is a perfect film um so f- before we um get too far sidetracked into these nominations let's narrow the scope a little bit um do you have anybody in here on this list that you kind of feel like won uh in terms of nominations if there is such a thing um i think that mank getting on to best motion picture uh, for drama is a win. It wasn't necessarily always going to be on here. Netflix movies haven't always really been received the best. I think this year, obviously, we're going to keep saying it is an exception, but uh, it's cool to see that in there. Just see that a streaming movie with a prestige director and prestige actors can uh, get a fair shake here. Um, and obviously, I'm stoked to see Chadwick Boseman for best actor. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mank, directed by David Fincher, I kind of thought might get a little bit lost in the um, in the movie shuffle just based on when it came out. And I, I recommended it to people, and people haven't necessarily taken the time to watch it because I think they see like black and white movie, and you know Gary Oldman, who your mileage may vary on him, and it's not exactly the um, the most diverse movie that's nominated but it's still a pretty good picture um Chadwick Boseman being nominated uh you love to see that is British a minority <laughs> <laughs> I believe the phrase is colonizer um but Chadwick Boseman getting nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom um he was phenomenal in that and I hope that carries momentum for him getting not just a nomination for that movie but uh, I hope he gets nominated for the Five Bloods as well. The headline for the Golden Globes and what they ultimately would want to push is um, my second winner on here uh, behind Chadwick Boseman would be that there are three women directors who got nominated for Best Director. Yeah, so it is just Best Director for a motion picture. They're not separating that into comedy and drama, which is great. Um Regina King for One Night in Miami, Chloe Zhao for Nomad Land, and Emerald Fennell, who directed Promising Young Woman. Um, I believe this is a first. Uh, the aforementioned David Fincher and um, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago 7 were the other two nominees in this group. And this is the group you look at where you're like, oh, the Golden Globes wants, they want names. They want a reason for people to tune in. Like, that's the category that you focus on but then you might see the rest and you're like oh okay yeah i'm not sure how many uh tweens are turning in tuning in to see who wins best director but 
I don't know, seeing women directors get their uh, due in this category is great. I am a little fearful that they're just going to be giving it to Fincher anyway, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, you don't want it to always look like the picture of all the um, the headshots of like the best actress uh, for all these nominations, television, comedy, uh, movies, drama, television, drama. There's that picture that I retweeted that basically all the headshots of these like 30 plus women were all like white blonde ladies and Viola Davis. So <laughs> it kind of looked like a, um, a yearbook for Fox news. I don't know. It was just, it's a little stark. So it's good to see that category at least look a little more representative. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm looking uh, at some of these categories uh, for the first time, embarrassingly, but I'm a little uh, lost how Dave didn't get nominated for best TV 10 shows of the year for sure. And it's not, I'm sure it is better than Emily in Paris without having seen that. Yeah, that's where um, going, harkening back to what we were talking about earlier is that television, there was still a lot of good TV this year. I don't know. Ted Lasso and Schitt's Creek are great. Uh, the Flight Attendant was a really good series. Uh, I hadn't watched The Great, um, but Emily in Paris, like, name your comedy show, and I'm sure you could slot it in just fine in that spot, and nobody would even blink. Nobody would be like, hey, where's my Emily in Paris at? My last winner, I want to just give a shout-out to Ludwig Göransson. Um, he got nominated for Best Score because of Tenet. Um, there was a million things going on in that movie and plenty of other things to pay attention to. But if you took a minute to just listen to the score and the music and the sound of that film, it's quite great. It's very phenomenal. Um, he's already had like a really great career. He was the guy who did the score and won the Academy Award for doing the Black Panther score. He's done Creed. He's done like random episodes of New Girl. I don't know why I know his entire IMDb page, but yeah, I I really like him as a composer. So what can I say? Yeah, that score antenna was unassailable. We already talked about a few snubs, uh, a few areas where the Golden Globes went wrong. One of the weirdest snubs, though, uh, we praised the Golden Globe nominations here for doing what they did with the best director in a motion picture category. But I think it's super weird that they would nominate Regina King, but not nominate one night in Miami for best motion picture drama. Um, I understand that there's only five pictures that were nominated for that category, but um, a, a movie like the father, which is a movie nobody's really seen uh, anywhere. I, I know critics who haven't even seen it yet, and I don't know when it's going to be available to stream. That's a little dubious. No Bad Land and Promising Young Woman made it on there, so I don't know why uh, One Night in Miami wasn't on there. I thought that was a great movie. Likewise, I could see the case for Spike Lee for Best Director. I thought The Five Bloods was great, and that's I was blown away by some of the transitions between scenes and the aspect ratio shifting and using grainier film. And some of this is cinematography and editing, but ultimately it's all direction to get the movie to where it is. Yeah, that's my other big fat snub that 
kind of made me angry on this day. I mean, don't let this sort of thing ruin your day, folks, but it ruined my morning at least. Um, is the Five Bloods was just completely blanked on these nominations. It wasn't involved in anything. Like we couldn't even get like a screenplay nomination, not even a supporting role, which there were plenty of great supporting roles in that one. Uh, that movie did bounce back in the SAG Awards, which I think are just better generally and more important, but not having Spike Lee or Delroy Lindo, which is a catastrophe to not nominate him. Chadwick Boseman, this is where his second nomination for an acting category should come in. I just, I don't know. They lost me with this one. Yeah, I just watched that this weekend. So it is a little bit of recency bias, but I thought it was really good. And the use of uh, employing like facts about African-Americans and putting pictures up and like making that part of the actual script was really smart because that, as I think Spike was pointing out, isn't something that's really necessarily part of history classes or what's shown in movies. So it was cool that he did that explicitly. Yeah, I've already gone through a lot of um, movies that are considered Oscar bait type films over the past year. And uh, if, if it's one thing that the pandemic, which has just sucked ass for everyone around. If it's the one thing that has made easier, it's that we've gotten to see a lot of these movies um, a lot more simply, um, just in the comfort of our own homes. And The Five Bloods was one that came out last summer and was like instantly at the top of my list for uh, Best Picture nominees. It's not Spike's best movie, I don't think. Um, he's got a million great ones, so it's really hard to kind of uh, shuffle like Malcolm X or do the right thing out of the top spot. But uh, I thought it was a really just well done movie, a lot of great performances. And I will say again, nominate Delroy Lindo, you cowards. Do it. Uh, overall, when you were watching it, what, what was your um, what was your feel in terms of its like best picture chances? Um, I don't think it will win best picture. It it played too much like a comedy in my mind to win Best Picture. There are too many lighthearted moments where I don't think any... I'm trying to think the last thing that was like outwardly funny that made you laugh had a legitimate shot at Best Picture or won Best Picture. And the first thing that comes to mind is Forrest Gump, a movie that uh, Callback earlier also featured a non-autistic actor playing someone with special needs. So um, I don't necessarily think that it will win best picture but i really enjoyed watching it and i don't know i i think it had a lot of good commentary and it was well made and it is deserving of a best picture but i don't think it's probably going to beat something like a mank which is about hollywood that's fair um well i, I kind of think like it was a very serious movie about real things and whenever I, th I think about movies that kind of have a, a humor, like a comedic element to them, I think of like a, um, an Adam McKay type venture, like I'm thinking Big Short or like Wolf of Wall Street. And I believe both of those were nominated um, for Best Picture. So I think it's definitely something that could be put on their Best Picture list. It's a shoe win to kind of increase the diversity for the academy awards like i really hope that they are considering the past few years of 
Oscar nominations and who they've given Oscar wins for. And like, as we've talked about before with like Bong Joon-ho and Parasite, I hope that that's more of a, a turning point rather than like situation where they pat themselves on the back and are like, see, look, we can, we can be diverse. We can be uh, inclusive. Now let's give it to the father. We're hip. Here's best picture nominee hillbilly elegy. Good grief. Yeah. I am looking at a list of winners and your point about uh, Adam McKay movies is spot on. Um, But to my point, I don't, I don't know. It uh, had too many moments where it was trying to make you laugh because of either how ridiculous something was or just straight up jokes where I think, well, I mean, this is a weird year. You never know. But the last thing that I'm seeing that one that was uh, the same level of like humor or levity was uh I'm still going. <laughs> it's I'm in the 1990s, so it's not great. Yeah, Forrest Gump, unless you really thought something like Titanic was funny. I, Titanic was funny in its own way. You're so stupid, Rose. <laughs> All the Billy Zaniacs out there. It, so you watched Mank this weekend. Uh, let's let's chat a little bit about that. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, I, th- I thought it was a good, good watch. It's definitely... Um, got a lot of history behind it as a movie about Hollywood, um, which is something awards bodies tend to enjoy a little bit more. Um, what were your thoughts on the film? I thought it was really good and expertly made. And I found myself uh, pausing to use Wikipedia a few times because I'm not necessarily always positive who a certain person is or what uh, relation they would have to a main character. I thought Gary Oldman was awesome. I thought the script was outstanding. And I thought it was, despite being in black and white, a really pretty well-made movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There was the black and white aspect of it, but you can just kind of, I mean, obviously it was directed by David Fincher's, but it still made it feel like it was a David Fincher film. Like he wasn't diverting too far off um, from his signature, despite it being in black and white. I, I would say of the the movies that I think are like projected to win um, or to at least get nominated and you know sniff the best um, movie category, to Five Bloods and Mank would probably be the top two that I liked enough to be like you know what I, I would watch that again like next weekend or like I, I would do an instant back to back viewing because sometimes you you watch like some either really serious or you know, film auteur movies. And you're like, I'm glad I watched that. I will check that out in a couple of years. But this one, those two movies, I'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm back in. To any of our listeners who haven't watched it, who are considering watching it, it definitely is a movie where you're going to want to devote like three hours to it. So you can like pause and look up what you need to or use the restroom or make some more popcorn or whatever. Um, I found myself pretty much riveted the entire time during The Five Bloods. So I, for what that's worth, I definitely liked watching that better but back to mank i was just blown away by how i don't know i it was i i wasn't aware of herman mankiewicz as a person and obviously um citizen kane is so well regarded um in terms of how relevant it is to movie history and whenever someone makes a list of the best movies ever citizen kane is usually on there if not 
uh, atop the list. And so to see kind of like an allegory about how, to, how it was made and then that um, monologue at the end where he's talking to Hearst about what, how it is essentially like a modern day Don Quixote was just pretty cool. I don't think that I've been that drunk at a party as Mank was in that scene since 2019. Uh, just coming out hot after that vaccine, we're going to be spitting some Herman Mankiewicz monologues and yelling at our friends while throwing up into fireplaces. Man, I'm excited. Uh, you're right, though. Like, I, I think I mentioned last week, at least I hope I did, it's just encouraging people to watch Mank with the subtitles on so you can kind of get a feel for what the script is like and what it's doing because it's just very not fast but it's very clever there there are some things that if you're not paying attention to you're like gonna miss uh like a humorous reference yeah. or like throw, a, a, a good joke or a back and forth between two characters throw away one-liners yeah and it, it helps uh to see what exactly upton sinclair spoiler is talking about uh because you're not going to be focused on what he's saying so much as who's saying it because bill nye's in the movie <laughs> yeah with that was uh that was one I had to look up after after the fact that Bill Nye was playing Upton Sinclair. Socialism rules. Yeah. Karl Marx, baby. The movie I watched this weekend um was Malcolm and Marie, uh that dropped on Netflix. It is a film directed by Sam Levinson, starring um John David Washington and Zendaya. This movie was conceived, produced, and um, put on Netflix all throughout this pandemic. It's one of the only, I believe one of the only pictures that we're going to see kind of in these sort of conversations that has this sort of background. People's mileage are, mileage is varying on this movie because it has been, it has been kind of shaped as a white director using two black voices to air his grievances with criticism which isn't great it it comes off a little bit as uh, so basically it's a bottle episode of an entire movie it's zendaya and john david washington just sparring back and forth having an argument as a couple um which is great if you are really into watching individual performances because those guys are phenomenal like each should at least be getting some sort of consideration for awards um like zendaya and john david washington are two of our best young to young-ish actors that we have um and it's really great to see uh two black leads in movies just in general um but the the idea that if you're looking at what is going on behind the scenes and that they're being mouthpieces for this guy who's like, I don't know, complaining about movie critics at the LA Times and IndieWire. It, it's a little tough. Like it, it kind of comes off rough because I think Sam Levinson is also like, has a bit of a nepotism background. I believe his father was either some sort of director or producer and in Hollywood. So it wasn't exactly like he was struggling to get a foot into the industry and then having to deal with um, criticism. It's, I don't know, you, you feel throughout that it's just this director that's having this internal 
conflict that he's putting onto the screen, like having an argument with himself. And it's, it's a fine movie. Like it's a, it's another, if I'm ranking black and white movies uh, over the past year, it's Mank is probably better, but this one is still really beautiful. Um, I like that even though it was a black and white movie, it still did a really good job of depicting like the beauty of black skin, both dark and light. I think they had the same cinematographer as Euphoria, which is like a really beautiful television show in its own right. Yeah, just a lot of mixed emotions around Malcolm and Marie. I don't think it'll be in any sort of best picture races. I haven't seen it, but I want to, especially based on everything that you just said um, in terms of just like the two people fighting um, I could see it being nominated. We had marriage story last year and that's very, I don't know, just your, your soundbite premise sounds similar to that. And I like John David Washington. Uh, I have a birthday coming up. Uh, if I'm turning 31, would I be young or youngish? Uh, still young. Yes. We'll go with still young. Um, you mentioned marriage story. Uh, you're forgetting that Scarlett Johansson was the diversity in that oh, right. film. Yes. As a person of color. Um, and I guess uh, Adam Driver is part Sith. Uh, he's he's Jewish. If we're going with Black Klansmen uh, characters, so that's our I guess our rundown of uh, of ketchup. I I think we made all of these like recommendations at some point or another in the last podcast. I hope you guys were able to go on and check them out. Um, I guess let me stick to my promise of saving WandaVision and MCU talk for the end because of spoilers. Uh, so before we do that, how about we just, um, how about before we get into WandaVision, um, sticking to my promise here of uh, leaving that for the end and making sure I don't spoil anything for anybody who has yet to catch up on it or wants to avoid spoilers altogether. Uh, let's make a couple recommendations if you have any um i only have one recommendation from something that i've watched recently and another one that is like mark it on your calendar two weeks to go get ready to fire it up um i'm not sure that i have any recommendations other than things that are nominated or that you think will be nominated or that we think will be nominated for an oscar uh just based on my whole thing of trying to watch all of the Oscar nominated movies every year, but that are also available on streaming. Um, I think Promising Young Woman is the thing that I'm most excited to watch that is out and available. And it's just a matter of uh, getting in the correct mood and getting, uh, getting my girlfriend to not be working. Uh, so she has as much focus as I do. And I have as much focus as she does for that movie, because from the trailer, it looks stellar all the reviews are stellar it looks like a pretty movie uh and vibrant in terms of color and cinematography so that's what i'm excited to watch and i guess what i'm recommending everyone else watch so uh, i am not talking to myself about how good it is or isn't yeah that's definitely on my list of movies that i've got to check off um hopefully uh by the next time we do this, we'll, we'll be having a, a discussion about that movie. Um, my recommendation is Framing Britney Spears. This isn't a full-length movie or documentary, but it is part of the New York Times series that's on FX. And uh, 
because it's on FX, you're able to catch it on Hulu. Um, this is something that is like an hour, hour 10, hour 12 minutes long um, about the whole Britney Spears saga. It goes through um, her rise to fame and kind of the, um, the fallout of that fame and the tabloid culture that ended up kind of engulfing her and how it was not honestly kind of like radicalized me because of this whole like free Britney movement where her father is like a conservator of her estate and like all of her finances. And it's just like literally whoever that I can't remember that one guy's name, but like the let Britney leave Britney alone guy was absolutely right. Um, like people need to, uh, be better and do better when it comes to somebody who's struggling in the public eye. And I think we've gotten better about that as a society over the years, but it's kind of wild taking a trip back down memory lane to just like the 2008 area and like how insane it was that the way people were treating Britney Spears and talking about her and in popular culture and I don't know. I, I really wish I had like some sort of recommendation to watch a movie about like the tabloid industry and that culture, because like with this and with tiger, it's like, I really want like a, to bring back Adam McKay again. I want like an Adam McKay type movie about tabloid culture because it's just, that was a wild time. Like how they treated celebrity. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but Nightcrawler kind of is, right? Yeah, it's it's similar in the same respects of like how far like a journalist is going to push the limitations of what they want to achieve um, and what they want to do to achieve certain ends to certain means. My So yeah, go check that out um, and join the hashtag free Britney campaign. Like I am. And my other recommendation is coming up on February 19th. Uh, this will also be on Hulu, no free ads, uh, nomad land. Uh, this is the movie directed by the aforementioned Chloe Zhao. Um, Francis McDormand is the star of this movie and it has been getting heaps of praise on it for, for months now, since it's been out and critics have laid their eyes on it um chloe zhao is just a young up-and-coming director she's only 38 years old and we'll see her next with her hands on a marvel picture she'll be directing marvel's the eternals so uh can't wait mark your calendars for that one and to our earlier point that is uh getting a lot of awards buzz that's nominated for best uh drama for golden globes i'm almost certain it will receive best picture nomination for the Oscars. Yeah, if I'm doing a tally of like film critics and film podcasts that I listen to, it would probably be Nomadland with the best betting odds to win best picture so far. Like that's kind of the sense that I'm getting. It's hard not to like Frances McDormand, uh, even in roles where she's not uh, a traditionally likable person, like in three billboards. Um, so I'm, I'm just very excited to watch that movie yes very excited um again february 19th so should we get into our wandavision talk spoilers right now you can pause the episode if you haven't gotten to it or 
Well, yeah, pause it, but then catch up on WandaVision and then unpause. <laughs> and then uh, then this won't be a spoiler. Let's go. Yeah, I, I like that better, actually. Don't don't just pause the podcast and leave it there. Go and go and catch up with Wanda. Like, what are you actually doing? This is the best thing that's on TV right now. Go and watch it. Come back and you'll be all, all caught up with this. And this conversation will make a lot more sense. So what had happened was last week's episode of WandaVision. Um, and again, it's worth repeating that we're, we've talked about WandaVision last week. We're talking about it now because despite it being a TV show, it still has like immeasurable strings and threads through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and last week, it just kind of got even more important in that regard. Towards the end of the episode, one Evan Peters showed up and a lot of comic movie fans and X-Men fans will remember him from like the, I believe he was in Days of Future Past and the X-Men Apocalypse movie that came out a couple of years ago. He played 20th Century Fox's version of Quicksilver. Um, and yes, there is a Marvel version of Quicksilver in the canon, but he died at the end of Age of Ultron uh, and we only got, I guess if you count the stinger at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier, I believe it was Winter I, Soldier. I do not count that. Yeah. So let, let's go one movie. He, he was a one hit wonder. He did not see Ultron coming and he, he died subsequently at the end but, of that movie. A save Hawkeye. What are you? Come on. <laughs> uh, he, I, hey, Hawkeye is the most important Avenger. Uh, or at least his wife thinks so. So like reaction what i mean was it on the level of luke skywalker showing up at the season finale of mando so that is a to quote uh star wars that sort of depends on your perspective a little bit i'm paraphrasing uh in terms of being on the same cultural level as a luke skywalker no absolutely not in terms of possibly being like the first toe where uh kevin feige is merging uh, the MCU with uh, Disney's recently acquired Fox, whatever, the X-Men movies, uh, that's pretty big. Um, I'm not the biggest comics head, but um, in terms of what I have heard from people on podcasts talk about uh, in reference to Marvel comic books, I mean, historically the X-Men were always like the top dog right up until uh, Marvel didn't have the rights to make movies about them when they kind of downgraded them a little bit. And Evan Peters being from that universe also hints at a multiverse thing, probably setting up some, well, I mean, we know who's going to be in the next Spider-Man movie. Pretty sure this uh, Dr. Strange movie is multiverse right there in the title. So um, I don't know. It's definitely interesting. Um, and I like Evan Peters as an actor uh, a little bit more than other guy who got, got, by Ultron. So um, it's it's interesting to be sure. Yeah, uh, it's definitely an interesting turn of events for the uh, MCU. I, I kind of, I jotted down a, a little bit of background here just to get everybody caught up on like the, like what is actually going on here if you're only like a WandaVision watcher and you haven't watched the past like 
12 plus years of movies to kind of understand this reference and kind of how weird and seismic Evan Peters showing up at the end was. Um, so before uh, Disney slash Marvel acquired the IP from Fox on X-Men, Deadpool, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, et cetera, they reached a deal with 20th, 20th Century Fox to use Quicksilver in the Age of Ultron movie. Um, but Marvel could not make a mention of mutants or insinuate that Wanda, aka Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver were mutants like in their comic book origin. Um, this doesn't seem like a big deal and seems like a pretty fair trade for Marvel because they haven't really touched on mutants at all with their superheroes. But uh, like the X-Men movies that started in the early 2000s, um, they kind of lean heavily on the mutant aspect and like through their comics and all their storytelling mediums, uh, they kind of lean heavily on the quote mutant aspect of it to serve as like an allegory for discrimination um, and those who are different in society. Um, so Age of Ultron cast Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, to play their Quicksilver and kind of around the same time, Evan Peters was cast for the Fox version of Quicksilver uh, Evan Peters is Quicksilver kind of gained a little bit notoriety in pop culture because he had uh, the great scene in breaking Magneto out of jail uh, in Days of Future Past. Um, so he he's kind of a, a leg up on the Quicksilver power rankings here. And as for Marvel, rather than compete um, or deal with the complications of using their own Quicksilver, um, using Wanda apparently wasn't that huge of an issue and they continue to be able to use the rights for her jokes on you now, Fox. Um, Marvel did spoilers kill off Quicksilver at the end of age of Ultron. Um, so like this juggling over movie rights for IP is important because it's kind of why we started the MCU with Iron Man, um, who believe it or not was a lesser known Marvel property in 2008. If you can think back that far. Um, and, not Spider-Man or like you said, Roger X-Men, uh, which would have been like the, I guess the more popular choice in the, in the boardroom when they're thinking about, Hey, we should launch this entirely large projects with superhero crossovers. Uh, who can we start with? It would be X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah. I wasn't really aware of that until uh, later years when looking up, like I'm not even, sure who iron man is and he seemed like oh this must be this really popular character and he's like number 32 on like the most popular marvel heroes and i mean that kind of just shows like one robert downey's star power but two how much casting can like change the trajectory of an entire film franchise and cinematic universe but it also begs the question uh who i mean hugh jackman's not gonna keep playing wolverine right they're gonna have to recast that at some point yeah, they are going to recast Hugh Jackman unless he decides to do a 180 and return. Uh, he kind of decided that he wanted to retire the character after uh, 2017's Logan. Well, that, that's a great point on the casting and transitions well here because mm -hmm. I wanted to make mention that the um, this WandaVision reveal of Evan Peters kind as Quicksilver, like, do we know if he's actually mutant Quicksilver? But it comes on the heels of them announcing that Deadpool was going to 
definitely be in the MCU as a Marvel film and come with an R rating um, and is kind of sandwiched between news that we got today after Tom Holland's, who plays Spider-Man, uh, his Esquire interview saying that he doesn't believe that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, the previous two iterations of Spider-Man, are going to show up in his third Spider-Man movie. Unless, of course, they are just keeping that shit from him because he does not know how to not give away spoilers for his movies. Hmm. Tough look for him. I mean, we saw the casting for those movies, right? Like, I'm pretty sure I saw the tweet. So far, I think what we have is um, Jamie Foxx returning as Electro, and um, we're getting Spider-Man 3's Doc Ock. I'm not sure if there was anything absolutely confirming Toby and Andrew Garfield coming back. Anyway, all that's to question is what is Evan Peters' role going forward in this? How does it tie to the MCU and how does it bring in potentially the X-Men if they're going with version of Quicksilver who's most notably at this point for being a member of the X-Men? I don't think it necessarily has to stretch beyond this storyline. Like if you think about comic books, they've all been killed off and resurrected hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but at least dozens of times each. And so I could see Quicksilver in this context being brought into this universe in some fashion uh, to serve whatever purpose in this story and just kind of being put back on the shelf when they're done. But I think what it hints at is that they have this whole toy box full of characters that they didn't have for the entirety of the MCU from Iron Man all the way through to far from home, I guess would be the last one. And so being able to actually use some of those characters um, and use the same actors, even just for more clicks or for better fan uh, engagement with it, or just to playfully wink at the audience is interesting and I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier might do something similar or, I don't know, it's uh, intriguing to see or to just to think about like, well, how could they, uh, how could they work Fantastic Four into this universe? Or if there's like this intergalactic threat, like why wouldn't all the mutants and Fantastic Four and blah, blah, blah go and fight alongside the Avengers? Yeah, that's... Kind of my my hope in what we find out maybe this week or in subsequent episodes is, is this like actually Quicksilver as a superpowered being or is this going along with um, what we've seen uh, WandaVision do is uh, WandaVision's entire premise has basically been an homage to TV over the decades and this is just a... A, a nod and a wink, as you say, to the audience, like, hey, here's Aaron Taylor Johnson. You get it. This is why the audience is uh, applauding at this point, because you're supposed to know who this person is. So, yeah, I, I hope we, we get to find out who this version of Quicksilver is, because it opens up a ton of other questions that I already have. Yeah, to your earlier question, I think this is why you can make the case that this was as big of a cameo as Master Luke popping in at the end of Mando was. Yeah, I mostly because it has a lot of 
wide ranging ramifications for an entire movie universe that a lot of people still care about and are fired up over. Whereas in like the star Wars space, um, which often overlaps with the MCU, but not always, um, people are split between wanting stories that branch away from the Skywalker storyline and those that just are like, yes, give me Luke Skywalker and give me something that vaguely looks like Yoda because I get that. Yeah. I want a whole trilogy about the sand that Anakin hated so much. That's uh, very high on my wish list. Look, it gets everywhere. I I get it. I just want to see the sand's perspective and like just hear that side of the story. We need a drama about Tatooine and harvesting water. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One thing I wanted to bring up, though, is maybe we can kind of dissect this to see if we can come up with an answer on our own, is um, Jack Schaefer, now she's the head writer of WandaVision, um, kind of gave an interview to Marvel.com, I think that dropped right after the episode or like on the same day that said, quote, we thought like, how do we give him this entrance, referring to Quicksilver, and then enjoy that and then make it crazy. And we had long had the idea of the trope of the brother or the relative or whoever comes to town and like stir things up with the family, that sitcom trope. So it's kind of like a an Uncle Jesse, like full house type of character that pops in and shakes things up. So you could lean one way and say, hey, this is just an homage to TV, or they could lean the other way, which is my theory that I dropped to you over text was based in part on what you mentioned before is that the Doctor Strange 2 movie will have a subtitle of the Multiverse of Madness, and Wanda is expected to show up in that movie. So I think maybe inadvertently with the crazy things that are going on with Wanda being able to bring vision back to life without the uh, mind stone, which we kind of got confirmed in a vague way during this episode. Did she do something completely outrageous with her powers that she kind of ripped a hole in the space time continuum to bring a version of Quicksilver back through the multiverse from the 20th century Fox's versions of X-Men because she couldn't fully bring back her brother to life because maybe there's some sort of loophole where she could bring back Vision because he was a synthesoid and she can't bring back her brother because he's fully organic material. And that's why they got the quote recasting as Darcy put it. And I don't know that she necessarily brought Vision back I think that she stole the body and um, animated it and it's all her cognition, but I don't, I guess it's not my universe to make the rules for, but if I were, I would say that someone who got her powers from the Mind Stone can't then also create a Mind Stone. That's very true. Um, So do you think that it's possible that like Vision kind of becoming self-aware over that episode of like what's going on and like the anger is just a reflection in a way of like her grief and how she's coping with that trauma. Yeah, uh, probably. I think that it's most like 
she animated this body and gave it a consciousness and that is playing God. But it also, I think that Vision's reactions are probably accurate to what actual Vision would actually be feeling if he were there. Um, just he's, as a character in the MCU, like insanely logical, like to a fault where he's dissecting things and doesn't care to use doors because he sees them as completely useless. So him not being able to remember what happened two weeks ago, but yet still knowing that he's the superpowered being I could, and seeing all these uh, idiosyncrasies where the neighbors don't see the weird stuff going on. I, I mean, I, I could see where it would cause someone like vision to freak out and not quite trust Wanda. So I don't know. I think we're in for a, a roller coaster end of the season and the Evan Peters piece will certainly be interesting. Uh, you said the uncle, I didn't watch full house. Uncle Jesse. I uncle didn't watch full houses. Okay. Sorry. Uncle Cut Jesse. Out for a sec. I was going to compare it to um, Dom from entourage, but <laughs> coming in to shake stuff up. Uh, even better. Um, yeah, there was, also like that meta moment during the episode where Catherine Hahn's character kind of like broke character on Wanda's TV show and was like, should I, should I take it back? Or something along those lines where it's like kind of amplified my theory a little bit more that I think Catherine Hahn's character is like maybe in on this in a, in a certain way. But yeah, it, in explaining like all the X-Men stuff, um, the mutants, I think this could provide like a seamless transition if this was like a starting point and then the Multiverse of Madness movie kind of expands on how we introduce X-Men and mutants into the universe because otherwise you're dealing with this whole question of like if there have been mutants and the X-Men like floating around in this universe all this time, like where the fuck were they when Thanos was just zapping us away? Like my guys, we could have used like Nightcrawler to just get in and out of there and Jean Grey to hold him down as well. I don't know. It, it's a can of worms that they don't want to answer. They are podcasting probably. Ah, yes, they are podcasting at the uh, Xavier Institute's under the basketball court. Podcasting through the apocalypse. Where have I heard this one before? That's exactly what we're doing right now. Last question, and then we'll get out of here because we've been rambling about the MCU for a while, is do you think all of this, and we'll tie it back to movies here, all these, if it is just a wink and a nod, or if they're going to just start kind of cherry picking the most popular X-Men from that former franchise to place and sprinkle throughout the MCU. Is it too much for the viewers um, just in terms of like content download that they have to watch? I tend to think no. I mean, the people who are going to be most invested in this are the ones who want to see it anyway. And so if someone's a really big fan of Storm or The Thing or whatever, and the character has enough popularity and pops in, whoever is that invested is just going to be thrilled that whoever is in the show that they're watching um, in terms of greater continuity. Like, I don't know, there'll be nerds like us breaking it down and wiki pages. And I think in this day and age, it's a little easier to explain some of the continuity and um, canon stuff. Yeah. If you need an 
explanation. You just got to listen to the real dads. I stumbled upon a Charles Holmes piece, uh, writer for The Ringer, and he talked about how like the the comic books, like actual pieces of paper, like remember when we used to read off of pieces of paper? No. Um, <laughs> the like the concept of the multiverse kind of got a little out of hand and it's like layered and layered and folding on itself because there's just so much retconning and so much uh, in a single universe that if you walk into a, a comic book store and say, hey, give me a comic, like I want to start the story of Wolverine or I want to start the story of the Hulk or Thor you get like a million recommendations on where to start because the timelines are crossing, they're undoing themselves. Um, it, it's getting a little iffy. Um, I don't think that we will be doing, I mean, we might be doing the MCU for the rest of our lives, but I don't think we're going to get like decades on decades where generations of people are going to be tuning into the same storyline of movies. Uh, that would be insane. My Thing is, I just think anything that's on Disney Plus is fair game uh, to catch up on and talk about in the MCU and to go back to and see so that you can understand the references because like Facebook and YouTube, the goal is to keep you on these platforms for as long as possible. And I think that's very well what Disney could be doing by just sprinkling in a guy like Evan Peters. You watch Apocalypse, which I think is on Disney plus now. I have no idea, but yeah, that's certainly what they're doing. I recommend going back and watching whatever Marvel pieces you need to catch up because, uh, after Ultron, they are all excellent movies. Yeah. Uh, catch up on them. Not because you have to understand WandaVision, but because it is just a great time. So devote, uh, devote some spare time that you have as we sit inside in the cold in the winter months to catching up on some good family action movies. Except Deadpool. That one is rated R. So that's that's all I have. You have any anything else on that, Roger? I got nothing. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, thanks for listening to our second episode of the Real Dads podcast. Um, as always, be sure to tune in to the Wisconsin Homestead podcast on Apple and Spotify um, that's hosted by our friends AJ and Hannah as they uh, podcast about homesteading and take a, a quick walk in their shoes with their podcast. Um, you can find ours on Apple and Spotify. I think I have to get it up on Google Podcasts and we'll work on that and you'll know it's working if you are listening to this episode on Google Podcasts. So there you go. It's a good sign. All right. Keep it real, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.